Hello, and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. I am joined here in San Francisco City Hall by Sean Klein, the Director of the Office of Financial Empowerment in San Francisco. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. So I want to first get to know you a little bit. So you've been fighting poverty and hunger in various capacities throughout your career. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got interested in the basic income. Sure. Well, the past nearly 20 years, I've spent uh, working primarily in Asia, Africa, and the Balkans on international development, largely microfinance, really at the forefront uh, more than a decade ago, looking at ways in which institutions could both sustain their operations and lend. Uh, So you're working in microfinance. Obviously, the subject of cash grants comes up a lot in in the basic income space. Do you consider microfinance a form of cash? It is a form of cash, but what excited me originally about microfinance was the prospect of really um, providing a transformative resource to poor and low-income people. And what we've found over the past 15 or 10 years through a whole series of randomized control trial evaluations, the gold standard for research, is that microfinance um, had much more promise than it could deliver on. Uh, so in the end, it's, um, it is very useful for people and it helps smooth people's incomes, but it doesn't provide that transformative change that we hoped it would. And it was that realization that got me then looking at two things in my international work. One was the pioneering work of Give Directly and just the simple notion of giving people cash and studying that uh, since cash is researched uh, so much all around the world. And then a lot of my work over the past eight years um, was in India, which is one of those uh, developing country governments with the strength and the funds to have a whole array of social safety net programs. In fact, India has more than a thousand. The U.S. has, you know, a hundred plus. So they have this whole plethora of social safety net programs, uh, much of it conceived by really inspired uh, wonky people in Delhi. Mm -hmm. And then they're implemented in a very devolved uh, country and just consumed by corruption. Uh So very few people actually get the money. But what they did do is start looking at cash transfer programs, including a massive one that's really unparalleled in the world called the National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme. And while it's not a pure cash program, you have to actually work or you get a stipend if if you're not able to work. Um, I think it really did sort of push the Indian state to consider the power of cash. And so I looked, that stage in my career was really designing education to help poor and low-income families take up that program and others like it. But again, as I said, I looked more and more to give directly and how simple and clear and transparent uh, their program was and the mounting evidence there was for that kind of program and the kinds of programs around the world implemented by governments that were really about giving cash conditionally and unconditionally to people and trusting they'll do the right thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the issues of corruption in, in a lot of social programs. Would you say that cash transfer programs are you know, somewhat inoculated against corruption? Well, probably not inoculated, but certainly it helps mitigate a lot of the corruption because it takes out many of the middle, middle people. Um, and I dare say that some of those middle people are people like me, people mm-hmm. who you know, are described as experts that kind of cook up these programs for people. And what's, I think, powerful about direct cash transfers, like what GiveDirectly and others are starting to do more and more, it's premised on the idea that poor people 
by and large do the right things for themselves if you give them the chance and trust them. That starts to kind of whittle away at this whole expert notion. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, I think Give Directly's work could um, is somewhat heretical in that it's sort of undermining the whole international aid, aid field to some extent because they view their cash as sort of the index fund of development, right? So can you beat cash is the mm -hmm. question. So uh, you are the, the director of the Office of Financial Empowerment. So tell me a little bit about what you do and how you came to this position. Sure. Well, I, I was looking for a change, and to be honest, about um, two years ago, um, I started to get really interested in the notion of basic income in uh, more developed economies, including the United States. And with that, I thought, well, perhaps, uh, you know, I've been looking to government for pioneering programs that governments were launching around the world. Uh, what if cities could take on basic income as sort of a pioneering new idea, or at least a new old idea? Um, and I saw uh, this position open up in the Tax and Treasury Department of City Hall here. And the office, the Office of Financial Empowerment, was launched about a decade ago, really to bring low-income people into formal banking um, with all the benefits that uh, that, that represents. Um, about five years ago, the office launched the first and largest uh, universal child savings account in the, in the country, so every incoming kindergartner gets an account open for them to save for college. Uh, the city puts $50 in or $100 in for low-income kids. Um, and that actually has rigorous evidence behind it to suggest that when kids have that account, they're four to seven more times likely to go to and graduate from college. Um, we also have financial coaching sites across the city to help low-income people uh, manage their, mo their money and save for a goal. And now we're looking for, um, I think, kind of new frontier ideas that can really put cities uh, squarely in the realm of policymaking right now, particularly with such a dark cloud at the federal level. The city of San Francisco is both progressive and highly functional. And here in the treasurer's office with Treasurer Jose Cisneros, who's been elected to office now for 12 plus years, um, I think there's a real appetite to push out on these frontiers and see what we can do on a whole number of fronts, but particularly around cash uh, to support low-income people, um, largely to um, help them achieve greater economic security, mobility, prosperity. Yeah, I'm very interested in the idea of a basic income within a city because it feels like a contained enough space that you can sort of keep track of the whole thing and know what you're doing. Uh, on the other hand, cities often don't have the sort of funding base that a state or a country would have. So uh, how, do you, how do you work with that? How do you reconcile the, that issue? Well, we haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> what we're really keen to do right now, I think, is push out on research to add to the evidence base behind mm -hmm. basic income, because I think there's some really exciting array of actors, advocates, um, and others who are pushing for basic income. And I like to think that in City Hall here, we have a very unique position to advance thinking both inside uh, city government about what the possibility for a basic income is in the work that they do day to day and add to the evidence base, as I said, by pushing the research. So um, we have um, developed a proposal uh, for a basic income demonstration um, the first large-scale demonstration in the United States um, in San Francisco, Detroit, and New Haven that we're seeking funding for now. Mm -hmm. And that's really a child-focused uh, basic income demonstration. We're also looking at a scaled-back version of that that would be 
a pure basic income uh, demonstration here in San Francisco, and we're in conversation with the Human Services Agency, which is the large government agency here responsible for, for much of the social safety net in the city. Uh-huh. So that would be a, a funding from California to, to fund this program? Or? Potentially. I think, you know, my, my feeling is where we are right now with basic income, like a lot of frontier ideas, there is a role for philanthropy in kind of pushing, pushing forward the evidence base. And when that evidence base starts to grow, I think it will really signal to governments that this is something worth investing in. So that's, that's the front I want to really push on at this point. Yeah, and actually I want to drill down a little bit on your proposal. So why, why uh, start with children? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, giving cash to people is, is expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> for a research demonstration. And so what that means is we can only give it to so many people for so long. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at a, um, a sample size of, say, one to 2,000 people. In, the, in a relatively short period of time, say three to five years for that demonstration, we need to be able to see measurable change. So one benefit of measuring very young children is they're developing so quickly. You can see they're very sensitive to change. Mm-hmm. Um, Another reason, I think, is it's hard to argue with uh, investing in children, right? right? Um, Hardly anyone can argue with that. And you really see uh, a lot of convergence across the political spectrum to support programs that that benefit children. And we've seen that with our child savings account program here, which has universal kind of support at the city level. So that was another reason. And then lastly, I'll say, you know, as, as you know, some of the debate about basic income, which isn't yet kind of fully resolved through research is this question of what people will do with the money, right? So I think there's some anxiety, particularly among those who don't uh, know the literature on cash transfers, who feel that perhaps um, now with legalized marijuana in California, (laughs) uh, you can imagine all these people just sitting on the couch and doing nothing. Sort of the perfect storm. (laughs) It is, exactly. Of course, the evidence on cash transfers runs completely counter to that assumption. But nonetheless, I thought at this, at this stage, um, as we advocate for basic income, um, we can kind of skirt that issue by really focusing on a place that I think a lot of people agree needs attention, and that is early childhood. Yeah. And I guess it's worth pointing out that a lot of people have the sit on your couch and smoke pot option right now. Right, exactly. Only a few of them take it. That's um, right. So just out of curiosity, why uh, New Haven and Detroit as your other targets? Well, for one thing, um, those two cities, uh, like San Francisco, are unique in the challenges they face around income inequality and poverty. Mm-hmm. So New Haven, um, you know, where Yale is based, Yale University is based, has struggled for many years uh, with a very unequal distribution of wealth and challenges. They have a very uh, progressive uh, deputy mayor at the helm right now who's um, really excited about pioneering research and particularly basic income. So she came on board um, and it's important to have champions where you want to do this kind of research. Detroit, likewise, just it's it's an iconic city in America, right? So mm-hmm. it was really king of the hill in the 50s, as right, the, the car yeah. capital, um, but it's really fallen from grace. Um, and so I think in some ways it's um, it's a really powerful symbol for some of the dystopic fears many have about what technology could do to our cities and to our population, sure. uh, whether those come to, come to bear or not. So again, we had a champion there. We're open to, you know, as we advance the research design and continue to look for funding, we're, we're open to other cities as well. I'm particularly interested in including uh, cities from the south in, in kind mm-hmm. of further, further research as we push out. Uh, but for right now, we look for where we, where we had champions. 
So you're kind of our man on the inside here. What's it like to be pushing for a, as you say, a, a pioneering initiative, you know, something that is considered very radical by, by many people from within a, a government? Well, you know, I'm struck with how many smart people there are in City Hall here uh, and in governments across, uh, city governments across the country. I think there's a real appetite, um, again, given the, the real foreboding uh, clouds on the federal level, mm -hmm. um, that I think is galvanizing many of us who really are interested in a progressive agenda. Um, there's a real appetite for big ideas. Sure. Um, and I think there's a, uh, a strong recognition that any policy, be it at the federal level or the city level or at the state level, should really be informed by evidence. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's sort of a mixed experience in the United States around evidence-based policy. So I'm really, that's another reason I'm keen to, to push out uh, and build the evidence base here. So I spent the past six months working with colleagues inside City Hall here uh, to bring them along, to kind of bring mm -hmm. them up to speed about the history of basic income, which goes back uh, quite a ways. The fact that um, you know Milton Friedman was one of its strong proponents in sure, the 60s, yeah. and Nixon proposed a, a variant, and that Alaska, thanks to a Republican governor uh, around 1980, introduced um, a form of basic income, and that Norway has that right, likewise. Yeah. So there's just all these examples, I think, that are worth citing and reframing how we talk about basic income that brings people on board. Mm -hmm. So talking about it in terms of social security or common resources, things like that. What have you found to be the persuasive argument to, to is it just the, the wealth of evidence that we have? I think there is, it is about wealth of evidence. I also think it's about an ongoing desire to simplify how government works and what it can do. You know, the, the elegance of a universal basic income is the idea that you, st you drop means testing. And while at the city level, that's, I think, tricky uh, to right. envision, I think there is a lot of potential for uh, very simple uh, evidence-based basic income experiments that could demonstrate not only positive outcomes in people's lives, but could also demonstrate um, how streamlined you can make government. Because uh, I think governments generally acknowledge to be good at writing checks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so why not play to its strengths? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, what's going on in Finland right now. They're, they're toying with the idea of replacing some of their, their social services with a basic income, partly because people are incentivized to not take a job because a lot of those jobs are basically the same as, you know, the stay home and pick up checks option. Do you see a, a particular path forward for the basic income to gain a foothold in the U.S.? Well, I do think a focus on children could could get traction sooner than later, mm -hmm. uh, given, again, the, the growing inequality, and I think the evidence is really striking. And not only evidence about growing inequality, but the fact that growing inequality is particularly stark in communities of color. Yes. Uh, so again, I think, you know, the way we framed our child-focused basic income demonstration is to put it in terms of future economic opportunity. So I think that's very promising. I think there are other avenues that are gonna be promising as well, and we'll have to kind of wait to see how the, the dialogue and the debate continues. We're really interested in um, convening people in Northern California around this issue to look at it through different lenses. So we're hoping to bring together some of the experimenters from around the world here in San Francisco next June. Uh, we're actually talking to some of the Finns that were behind the the design of the program in Finland right mm -hmm. now about an event next month. So really wanting to keep the dialogue going because I think we have a, uh, a window in history. Uh, one, again, that has some really 
um, kind of dark tones at the federal level, but I think some exciting opportunity at the city level. Um, and I'd love to work with private sector actors, nonprofit actors, and advocates outside of City Hall to really move a progressive agenda forward. I think we're uniquely positioned here at City Hall in that virtually weekly I'm engaging with representatives from other city governments. Mm -hmm. uh, so just yesterday I was talking to senior people in the city of Chicago. Uh, we're the co-chair of the Cities for Financial Empowerment, which is 15 other cities across the United States that have offices of financial empowerment. So I think we see our mandate is both experimenting at the local level here on big ideas like basic income, but signaling what's possible to other cities so we can really see if we can spark, um, take up of big proven ideas across the country. All right. Well, Sean Klein, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Owen. That was Sean Klein, director of the Office of Financial Empowerment in the city of San Francisco on the Basic Income Podcast. To hear more conversations like this one, please subscribe, and we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It'll help other people find the podcast. See you next week.